you know, if you want to get into football and the football industry, you need to understand the football industry, not football. You need to understand how the money works in the game, how broadcasters make money, um, how clubs do it, um, how players effectively, you know, um, you know, talent businesses to a degree. And so uh, part of the book is basically now, well, if you want to be in the football industry, you need to start consuming lots of football content, but not best goals on YouTube or... Hi everyone and welcome back to the Sporting Global Podcast and today I'm here with Daniel G and Daniel first of all thanks for taking the time how's, how's life in London these days? We're all good it's a bit cold and miserable outside but I'm uh, <laughs> yeah in the office it looks like I'm in a padded cell but I promise I'm not in a this is just one of our little rooms that uh, we have to be able to do calls and stuff so it's all good um, busy time up until Christmas lots going on World Cup obviously going on still at the moment as well. And we're doing some really interesting stuff before in the lead up to that with a lot of players that we work with um, yeah. closely. So um, two or three weeks worth of work to go. And then and then hopefully I get a little break before the transfer window starts. There you go. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I guess that's the, the, the next big thing coming up for you, right? It's the January transfer window, uh, I assume. So that's going to be quite, quite, quite some hectic time. Well, it's it, yeah. I mean, it's everything in between. Like, at, at least very briefly, you know, I, I work with a lot of um, agents and players, and then family members, effectively. And right. you know, my role a lot of the time can be a mix of making sure that um, you know, uh, sometimes when the transfer window opens on the first of January, most of the deals already been agreed, and actually things can happen quite quickly. Right. A lot of the time, as you as is reported. Um, it can be very much a reactive game. So if one transfer happens, then another does, and then yeah. another team has enough money, and then otherwise, and then you know it's a bit of a game of chess. Um, <laughs> and uh, and you know sometimes things happen very last minute. You know I always right. try and speak to a lot of my clients and say, you know, tell me what you've got coming up, and so we can work out timings on stuff and all the rest of it. And a lot of the time they'll be like, well, we're just going to wait and see. And then suddenly something comes really quickly for a lot right. of the groundwork that they might have put in a lot of time before and um you know you can get a pretty busy 48 hours sometimes <laughs> i can't imagine but, but let's but let's backtrack a little bit and kind of just start from like the beginning because i think obviously you know there's a lot of good insights a lot of experience from from your side but why don't we why don't we kind of like you know start where like how, how did your journey essentially start in the sport industry take us a little bit to truth kind of like that passion and and how your journey started so the, the the short answer is, you know, I, I grew up in Liverpool in northwest um, uh, England, and um, I, I was a mad and still am not quite as mad Liverpool fan, but um, yeah, just went to all the games, consumed as much newspaper content as I could. This was sort of the pre pre internet days, right. so we had VHS ta tapes and um, and and a live football match every now and then on terrestrial TVs. Like it's nothing like it is today or otherwise, right. and. Um, that sort of passion grew um, and I decided uh, at least um, to do a law degree basically because a lot of my family um, are lawyers and I thought it would be a multi-purpose degree. I wasn't even really that convinced I was actually going to be um, a lawyer for a long time really. 
um, but decided to go down that route to start with. And right. in the meantime, when I was doing my master's degree, I did a master's degree in football broadcasting rights, which gave me just a chance to be able to read about football in more detail. Um, yeah. And then, you know, for almost the best part of 10 years um, at a European law firm called Phil Fisher, I was, um, you know, doing competition law and antitrust law in, in loads of random sectors like aviation and financial services and agriculture and right. car parks manufacturing and you know all of these you know sectors that don't sound quite as cool as sports and football in truth yeah. but what I was sort of developing in um in the sort of side hustle was a strong network of people inside the the, the sports industry at my level and above really that were developing at that time mm. I started a, a twitter uh, handle called football law and started blogging really regularly on nice. sports and football related topics and over a period of time that got me to speak on TV on particular topics. There were things like third party ownership, which was to do with Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano. Mm. There was issues to do with the financial fair play rules and then PSG right. and Man City and all of those yeah. issues. Yeah. Um, there were loads of disputes going on. Carl, um, uh, uh, Luis Suarez, John Terry, Rio Ferdinand matters that, that, that were going on at those times as well. So I almost realized that there was that um relative niche to try and explain complicated legal concepts disputes issues in a, a more accessible way and um, uh, and as a result of that you know I was able then to meet and chat and discuss these topics with you know a lot of industry specialists a lot of people inside the game and outside the game and that just strengthened my network and so that that when when people came and asked me questions on stuff and needed legal advice um you know the good thing was is that i had a very hopefully had a strong um uh legal skills had strong legal skills mixed with a good industry understanding which allowed me then to be able to to give that advice and you know ultimately what happened was i started working a lot with a couple of agencies and agents managed to do a good job um on some high profile um deals throughout a few windows and that then led to um other people saying oh you should chat to daniel and that led to you know people getting in touch and that led to you know all of those opportunities that that that, that come around as a result but bear in mind this was like 10 15 years <laughs> in the making really yeah no i mean like of course and and I, and I think this is important to mention too it's it's a process right and it takes time and you know building that reputation and obviously you know showing the value over time it's it it, it doesn't happen overnight you know and i think you know it's it's something we we always try to you know uh, enforce and, and push to the students and the young people that are listening that wants to work so much in this industry too it's uh, it's a journey you know to be to be part of and there's there's a lot of lessons to 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 take with you from that i think that's totally right and we can talk about it in a bit but i'm not sure i've mentioned it to you but i've actually written a book um that's hopefully going to be published at the beginning of next year on um a career journey in sport and uh, in the the wider entertainment industry and one of the two things that uh, we could talk about maybe in more detail but one of them specifically or two of them specifically is you know this idea of patience and it's not like i was patient when i was a young lawyer i yeah actually really wanted to do sport right away i really wanted to do football right, right away but it didn't necessarily happen for me right away yeah um and that didn't necessarily put me off which was a good thing really because i still had all of this other work that i was doing that just wasn't as glamorous wasn't as cool yeah. wasn't as interesting yeah um but that laid the laid the groundwork because the thing is is that uh, and it leads to this patience idea which i'm sure is something ollie that you talk about quite a lot um 
which is just because it doesn't happen for you in the short term doesn't mean it can't happen in the long term. And you can set that groundwork and you can set that planning and that process as exactly as you said, so that, um, you know, the thing that will sustain you is your passion, your curiosity, your interest in the topic. You might want to be the best sports or football marketeer in the world that you can be. That doesn't mean in the short term that you can't work in the financial services in sector for, you know, pharmaceuticals marketing or for, you know, detergent for marketing, whatever it might be. And then you, you develop those fantastic marketing skills first, and then you realize actually that those skills are transferable into sports or for entertainment or for music or for football or whatever else it might be. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And I mean, like it's, it's, as you said, it's, it's something that we try to, you know, more so, you know, kind of, share the stories you know from from people like yourself kind of like you know what is the reality right of going into sports and and also a little bit about like you know the the process around it the journey like the different kind of angles and and steps that people have had to take you know maybe you know go in a different industry first or or of course you know building your way up moving to a different country you know there's so many ways you know that that you can enter and and sort of like just explaining to them and, and, and showcasing the reality of what it's like, okay, this is the sports and passion you have and you want to be part of this industry. It, it's, it, it doesn't happen overnight, you know, and it's a journey and you got to follow your passion. And I wanted, I wanted to, you know, obviously talk a little bit about, you know, the presence. Uh, obviously, you're a partner of the sports group at, at Sheridan's uh, leading law firm in the UK. Um, talk a little bit about, like, some of your practice focuses, some of the things that you're doing in your role today and and i guess your 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 focus areas of course so um there's usually about four well there's lots of different focus areas but i think the 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 two or three and then the subcategories of that effectively are one is everything player and agent related so that can be you know a transfer um, it can be a contract renegotiation it can be an image rights deal it can be a boot deal it can be any type of brand or ambassador commercial deals um there's a whole um, a lot of work that I do around, for example, dispute management. So uh, mm. disciplinary matters involving the player. Um, if there's a dispute between a player and an agent, uh, between a player and a club, between an agent and a club, between two clubs, between you know various elements. Yeah. I do quite a lot of work in reputation management along with other play, uh, people in, and lawyers in my team. So that can be um, stories in the press or things that are potentially said. Um, mm. And then there's a lot of... Um, growing work in for example you know players are becoming and are seeing lots of different interesting investment opportunities so they'll invest in lots of different businesses too um, which is a growing area so we help them with all of that and then the flip side at least for my sort of day-to-day is um, I also work either on the buy side or sell side um, with um, high net worth um, investors that want to invest into football and usually that's in football clubs so we do a variety of um, club takeovers um, in the Premier League, in the Championship, in the in the lower leagues and um, and, and non-league as well. In truth, um, and so we have quite a specialism um, across the EFL, um, effectively for the amount of volume of deals that we've done. So it tends to be generally more player and agency and talent uh, side is my day to day, but it yeah. also mixes with some um, football club work too. Well, it's, it's nice to have a variety of, of, of angles to work with. And I'm sure you, you get your hands full with, 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 with the player agent side of things anyways on a daily basis. I'm sure there's enough cases we could talk about from, from that side. Uh, and, and speaking a little bit into, I, I guess, 
you know, I think it would be good, especially for, you know, the, the, the people that are listening, you know, they're, they're obviously very curious and some of the times, you know, they, they kind of like only see this from the outside. Right. Mm. And so if you could give like a deeper look into some of the cases you've worked on in the football industry, um, and I think it would be nice both from like a club takeover side, but also from a transfer side, obviously, you, you know, you can, you can separate it a little bit, uh, just, just a little bit about the process and, and, and something that you think, you know, is important for these young people to, to know or, or think about in the process? Well, I think the first thing, I mean, I talk about it in uh, the, the book Done Deal that I published a few years ago is like, for example, on the, the agency side for agents, you know, I think it's very easy to give agents a bad reputation in truth. You know, they, they yeah. earn millions of pounds, they do little work, they just turn up and negotiate the figures <laughs> and take a huge commission. And the truth is, um, usually in my experience, that couldn't be further away from the truth. Um, you know, I, I see, because I work with a lot of very good agents, um, the incredible amount of hard work that goes into those type of things, you know, building relationships with clubs, with the chief executives, with the chairman, with the scouts, with the sporting directors, um, you know, finding solutions when problems occur, which is very, very um, uh, common, you know, um, there can be times when players don't want to leave, when they do want to leave when clubs don't want to sell, when they do want to sell, when clubs want to do particular things and are valuing the player too highly, um, you know, and the player doesn't want to go unless, you know, they're paid off for a certain amount of money or the exact opposite, where a club's willing to give them lots of money to be able to, to leave, et cetera. And so the thing I'd say generally is, you know, I, I can sometimes get involved quite early in a deal and sometimes quite late in the deal. We had deals in the summer where, you know, the agent's phoning me on the way to the club's training ground where they're going to sign in three hours and they say, you know, just have a quick look over the contract. And there are others right. which might be a renegotiation that take months and months to be able to to do and get over the line. So, um, you know, the, the truth is for for young people starting out in, in the sport, never mind football industry and working in law or in different elements of it, the truth is, is that, I always say is that at first instance you've got you've got to be a good you've got to be uh, in whatever your profession is if it's law if it's accountancy if it's marketing social media comms pr you've got to have that strong skill set in your discipline first yeah. um and then after that that gives you the confidence to be able to say well we need to redraft this clause because under this case this is the reason why this happens mm-hmm. um and then that mixed with your football experience that you know the regulations and you know how the rules work and you know how things have to be happened and how registrations occur and what FIFA TMS is and all of the, you know, all of these various, um, you know, elements that are specific to football and sport, um, they, they need to be understood in a lot of detail and that doesn't come overnight. Um, yep. You know, that's, that's something that has been 20 years in the making for me. And sometimes for the first while I wasn't doing that much of work in it. So right. um, it's really be the best, um, be the best lawyer, be the best accountant, be the best marketeer. Um, and then, you know, your passion, your curiosity will drive you into the areas that probably you feel that you'll be most valued in a way. Right. No, I mean, like it's, it, it makes, makes, makes a lot of sense. And I think you, you touch upon some very, um, you know, key, key areas, not only in terms of just building your expertise and knowledge, right. But also the, the various cases and scenarios you have to deal with in, in your position and in, in going into that space. Um, obviously you, you mentioned more from like a, a player, you know, club, club perspective, but from a club, club takeover approach, like talk a little bit about that, because I think obviously that's, that's more prominent, you know, and I guess, 
that I kind of like exploded a little bit more in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's very hard uh, for a lot of people coming from the outside, kind of seeing, okay, yeah, it's somebody, you know, bought a new club or the Glaciers going into the United or what it might be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talk a bit about just just the process of what's what's that like, a little bit about like how, how this journey begins in many ways, you know, just, just the things that, that people don't really, without obviously sharing too much, but what yep. you can share, of course. Well, the, again, the truth is it's a very difficult thing to get over the line, um, any type of takeover deal. The amount yeah. of deals that we've done, we've done probably three times the amount that haven't gone anywhere close to, to finishing or quite close to finishing. Right. Um, so, you know, the, there's all types of questions around what, what happens. You know, ultimately, you need a willing buyer and a willing seller. So, you know, um, the, the current owner of the club needs to be happy with the amount of money that they're willing to get, which usually is obviously one of the biggest stumbling points because of the idea of value. So how do you value a football club? You know, it can be a revenue multiple. It can be to do with how much, you know, liability, how many, how much and how many liabilities the club has got, you know, have they got big overdrafts? Um, have they got big loans outstanding? You know, have they got a great squad, which means they could sell players if they need to? Do they have a great manager? Where are they are in a particular league? Are they playing Champions League or are they going to be relegated to the championship? So you have all of these issues and timing issues you know it might be that like for example to give an example because we're not involved in it but sure. for example Bournemouth in the UK you know they're being in the middle of being taken over at the moment but yeah. the query will always be whether you're going to be taking over because of the time it might take to do a deal um, mm. a, a club that might be in the Premier League or a club that might not be in the Premier League come right. the end of the season right. and with other with other teams and then also there's there's always quite a, a long process with the regulators as well if that's the, the Premier League if it's the EFL if it's the, mm. the F um, and, and that can be quite a long process called the owners and directors test they need to be able to demonstrate that they've got the funds that they're reputable people that they pass the, the test they don't have criminal convictions they haven't been insolvent or they haven't been made bankrupt and they haven't been banned from particular organisations etc so um, that can take quite a lot of time as well and usually involves interviews and going um, to speak with the, the relevant organisation as you need to so um and then, you know, there's always skeletons in the closet is the truth, you know, as much as, you know, you effectively do what's called a due diligence process where you go through, you look at all of the contracts, look at all of the issues, look at all the disputes, try and work out how much tax might be owing, see how much transfer fees might be paid, how much money you're going to get in at particular times. Yeah. And they're the assumptions that you've based for the valuation of the of the club. And usually there are things that you haven't have or haven't made presumptions or assumptions on and that determines maybe what the value or how how a buyer may re-evaluate the value of a club accordingly usually downwards is the truth no i know like that it made me it made me think a lot about when you when you talk about the burnout case right and i mean like you're kind of like in a position right where you don't know now okay are they going to be in the premier league are they going to be mm-hmm. in, you know championship like how much does that impact the deal you know like like club takeover in a sense obviously considering because obviously the valuation is gonna decrease you know if they go down so so like are they working on kind of you know multiple scenarios or like are they it can be it can be um you know it might well be that depending on when i mean i think i presume everyone wants to try and get a deal concluded as quickly as possible but the truth is is that you you never know so there might be different contingencies it's this amount if they stay up um, it's this amount if they go down 
Right. It's this amount if they go down, but they get re-promoted inside the next two years. Sure. Um, there's this amount if they stay down, go down and stay down. Yeah. Um, there'll be particular bonuses if certain things happen, etc. But right. yeah, it can be pretty complicated. And you know, the truth is also because there's a lot of US owners and foreign ownership groups yeah. coming into the, the Premier League and the UK right. more generally. Yeah. Then there's issues to do with you know um, currency fluctuations. It might be mm. cheaper to right. buy clubs at particular times. It might be more expensive. <laughs> you know, when when this trust in the UK. UK announced her spending plans you know the the dollar versus the pound was an extraordinarily right. good level for a particular time so people might right. have hedged and done particular things with their money at that particular time because right. of the the value that they might have brought to a particular deal but you know that's the that's the way it goes and I guess even Brexit right had a had an impact on this in, in a certain degree yeah I mean, don't get me started on Brexit. Which is obviously <laughs> I was total. like, started bringing up in my mind. I was like, you know that? No. Probably a fact too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big European, uh, generally, uh, yeah. European advocate. But um, uh, yeah, th- there's lots of changes there. Basically, right. you know, among anything else, it's free movement of of workers, effectively, which then, you know, stopped when we left uh, when the UK left Europe um, or left the EU. And um, and then there's new, obviously, work permit regulations as a result, which have um, have complicated things and make things actually sometimes more straightforward, sometimes more difficult. Um, uh, And we've had issues with, um, you know, players and managers and um, coaching staff, etc., which have made which Brexit made more difficult, actually, to a degree, Um, because obviously, as as your listeners will know, you know, pre-Brexit, you know, any European player with a European passport could simply come to the UK, show their passport, and that would give them grounds to to enter the UK. Whereas now there's particular points criteria if you haven't yeah. played enough national team games that you have to adhere to, otherwise you're not getting in. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, like, obviously it's, it's a big, big change, right? In, in, in just the evaluation process and, and, and just also, like, how, how I, I guess, in a sense how valuable or, or is the risk worth taking, right? Of, of, of getting a player's player from abroad at this point, you know, mm-hmm. it will obviously be an ex- extensive factor. I, I wanted to, I wanted to talk a bit about um, obviously also the, you know, some typical pitfalls that future football leaders should keep in mind when it comes to legal matters in, in, in the football club industry. Like what, what are some typical pitfalls you've seen um, and I guess like perhaps more in recent time that or more at a general level that you think would be important for, for, for the future leaders to to keep an eye on or be aware of. Um, pitfalls specifically in football. Um, well, I think it's like anything. Um, football, like a lot of other sectors, if it's fashion, TV, film, entertainment, music, computer games, they're all these a collaboration of entertainment sectors right. where people have a real passion, curiosity, as I said, to, to want to be involved. And I think the thing that a lot of people feel is that they have this thing, which is if they're out of university or soon out of university and they can't get their dream role, that that's it for them, that mm. they can't then do the thing later down the line. And we talked about patience, we talked about, yeah. um, you know, not, not see, necessarily seeing the, the short term versus the long term opportunity. And um, I think the important thing 
for for people generally to be thinking about is again like skills acquisition is is the key and not to get too demoralized is the truth um you know i know a lot of people will do master's degrees in a specific sport football or general entertainment industry and be like well i've done this now and it'll be a waste if i then don't get my first or second job in the thing that i really 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 want to do right um and my view generally is I've done it almost the other way where by necessity, because there was not a job for me in sports and football in law early on in my career, this was me just, well, I've got to be the best lawyer I can be first, as we've talked about as well. And so I think this sort of patience mixed with trying to depressurize yourself, which is if it doesn't happen now, it's not the end of the world, which is quite an important thing, I think, to to think about. And then working out a plan long term to mix your skills with your industry insights then becomes the most important thing, because what ends up happening is if you get a really good set of skills mixed with that industry insight, what ends up happening if you're very good at your job, you know, the sports industry will need you more than you will need the sports industry. Right. so then you wait and you find and you look for those right opportunities that mix your skill set with your industry knowledge mm-hmm. and you realize actually that you are perfect for the job um, it's just you might not have that same amount of sports experience but that's always the thing that you can develop and learn more about people are interested more generally in your ability to get the job done at first no it's a, it's a really good point and i mean like if you you have that passion and and, and knowledge or interest you know in, in sports or football in general i mean like as you were saying it's just kind of staying on top of what's what's happening in the industry you know kind of you know reading you know or as as even you were doing you know like you know being creative starting a starting like uh you know a blog or a handle or whatever you know kind of you know be part of it without you know actually necessarily you have to be in there yet you know just kind of being aware of the ecosystem what's going on and obviously listening to our podcast every week so you you know can can, can see, soak up you know knowledge from a lot of different people um and we're about to reach kind of like the end here and and i want wanted as well obviously you mentioned two books but i wanted to uh, you're free to talk about both but but i think the the newest book kind of like fits well with the last question mm-hmm. but now kind of obviously you know Talking a little bit about the, the book Dumb Deal. Talk a little bit about the purpose behind this book and, and some of the key lessons that, that, that you brought up in, in this book. No, thank you. So, I mean, I, I wrote Dumb Deal now quite a few years back. Um, yeah. Primarily, it was not that long ago, I guess, but it, feel, it feels like a long time ago in, in, in my mind. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's published in eight, 2018, 19, I think it was, yeah. Um, and... Um, It was basically my premise that I pitched the publisher to Bloomsbury was I wanted to write the book that would have been very valuable for me to have read 15 or 20 years ago. Mm, Because you read a lot of stuff about the on-pitch stuff and you read a lot of stuff about the off-pitch stuff, but generally around the the, the headlines of transfers and contracts and stuff. But what, what a lot of people don't or haven't been able to provide insight on is actually the the interesting detail about what's in a contract you know how does a bonus work what right. why is a, why is the word appearance so important what are funny interesting clauses what are the stuff that goes on behind the scenes right. you know um why are agents actually doing an interesting job how how does the money flow in football how does it really work in practice why are players so valuable you know um almost demystifying some of the particular areas of the industry as well which is quite important and sure. by by being able to do that that um and actually you know in a way 
think about the questions that I would have want answer, I wanted answered yeah. all those years ago. It allowed me almost to be in the position of, right, well, I'm a football fan first. Yeah. I'm interested in industry second and now I've been privileged enough to work in the industry for a while True. I felt I was well positioned to write the book that actually hadn't really been written before um, yeah. and luckily enough you know a lot of people bought it and read it have, have said really kind things about it and it's opened up you know it's just so many fantastic opportunities for me to go and speak to conferences speak to people um, you know generally people come up and say congratulations on the book and um and it's, you know, on the whole being a really, really worthwhile thing. I think what people don't see is that, like, literally the, the thousands and thousands of hours it took me to write it, which was, um, which was tough going at the time. But, you know, ultimately, it's, um, yeah, it's all been worthwhile now. That, that, that's that's awesome. And I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Well, I mean, like, I kind of have to ask you, though, like, what are some, what are some funny, interesting clauses you <laughs> you you have seen you know you gotta not now you have to spill it out you know <laughs> well okay so I'll, t I'll tell you about a few that's in the book um especially so um there, there was a player that used to play for um Sunderland and Arsenal called Stefan Schwartz he was a Swedish international player very good left-footed player yeah. and um he had a clause in his Sunderland deal that stopped him from going into space uh, which is obviously quite a strange one. I'd never really heard or seen of that one before because <laughs> one of the Sunderland employees had read an article that he had, uh, an interview he'd done, which said one day he wanted to go into space. So right. they made sure that he couldn't go into space during his time at um, his time at Sunderland. And um, yeah, we had another one where when Neymar Jr. was at Barcelona, uh, yeah. Barcelona had a clause which effectively said that uh, to make sure he was happy in his life and um, things were going well, that he could... Um, that he could have an all expenses um, flight uh, with, I think it was six or eight of his friends flown over from Brazil to come and um, have time with him and party with him in um, Barcelona every, I think two or three months to, to keep him happy basically, which sounds like a very clever clause to have in your contract as long as you're not partying too much and uh, yeah, yeah. enjoying yourself when you should be maybe um, yeah playing well on the pitch. Although to right. be fair, that was the time when it was Neymar and Suarez and Messi doing pretty well. So maybe, yeah, uh, were, uh... maybe, yeah. Well, maybe he, he was there. happy for sure <laughs> it was working i mean like honestly i i think we i mean like you know maybe but we'll, i think maybe we have to do like another episode just talking about classes you know like this is uh this is some interesting stuff but no i know problem. we're running out of time and uh i want to just have like one more question i want to ask you and that's essentially i, I know you touched touch a little upon it like the patience the skill set uh you know especially for the young 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 students and professional here but it's kind of like to, to wrap things up maybe you know highlight a few things what tips do you have you know for students looking to get a career in the football industry doesn't have to be law can be law of course as yeah. well but just no exactly. want to be part of the football industry what, what what final kind of tips advice would you give them? i think there's a few so if i can maybe lead it into the the book that is hopefully that I, i've written that's hopefully going to be published in january so it's a book called um build the invisible and um the book is basically trying to set out a number of key ideas to sort of practical ideas to build your dream career. That's how I try and phrase it effectively. And yeah. I get, there's about five key elements really to it all. Um, and the effectively what I try and explain is, you know, if you want to get into football and the football industry, you need to understand the football industry, not football. You need to understand how the money works in the game, how broadcasters make money. Um, how clubs do it, 
um, how players effectively, you know, um, you know, talent businesses to a degree. And so uh, part of the book is basically now, well, if you want to be in the football industry, you need to start consuming lots of football content, but not best goals on YouTube or, you know, funniest moments on TikTok. It's like understand the finances of the game. Yeah. And that might sound boring, but actually that's the way that when, and it leads on to my second point, is that when you start then being able to speak to people in the industry, you can combine obviously your love for the game, which is, oh, fantastic. Did you see, you know, Neymar's goal yesterday? Or did you see the controversial thing that happened? But you can also say, well, isn't it interesting because FIFA sold their broadcasting rights for the World Cup for this amount of money. And actually then that leads for that national association to spend it on grassroots. And then one thing leads to another, leads to another, which demonstrates... Right that you know yeah. what you're talking about when it comes to the football industry. Yeah. And what then happens as a result is I, I sort of call it in this chapter called com compounding basically is that when you do something day after day, week after week, year after year, you build this routine of um, consuming content, but important industry financial content about the industry that you want to get into. Yeah. You're then speaking with lots of people across a network that will then you will demonstrate your value because you know an awful lot about it and that routine becomes important because you're saying it you're doing it day after day after day after day and then the last thing that um that i write which is uh, probably i think one of the most important things is uh, it's really important to mix um patience with uh um with reliability but mainly with perseverance and perseverance is like a big, is a big thing. And I think it's a really underrated thing um, simply because I can't tell you the amount of times that I've had rejections, that things haven't gone right for me, that things that I thought were going to be great have ended up not so well and things otherwise have taken me down lots of different paths. And this idea of things not working out perfectly straight away is a really important takeaway, I think, which is if you stay with the process, one of the first things you talked about at the beginning of this podcast, if you stay with the process, um, you keep the routine, you keep developing yourself. Usually when no one's looking, you know, what are you going to do at nine o'clock at night? You're going to watch three episodes of Netflix or you're going to read the next three articles of the a football industry journal that might be really useful for an interview that you don't even know you've got at the moment. Nice. And so if you can do all of those things regimented over a long period of time um you're onto a good you're onto a good thing because and if i just finish on one thing a lot of people say to me well daniel you know what's the secret for you working in the football industry and the the, the misapprehension of the question is almost a really important thing because the thing is there's no secret right the secret actually is um boring consistency <laughs> and and it's and it doesn't it's not an easy sell is the truth no one wants yeah. to hear oh well it's just boring and it's consistent and you just got to repeat it and you've got to do a routine but that's what it is you've got to start off one day then the next day and then one month as i said and then one year and then three years and then someone will come to you one day after you've maybe had a really good interview and you've got into the football industry and they say what's the secret how did you manage to do it and then you can say back to them well the truth is it's not there isn't no secret what it is is boring consistency compounded over a long period of time and if you can keep up that approach you're in a really good position to um to, to try and hopefully get you closer to the the dream job that you want to do 
Absolutely. Well, with that, Daniel, I would like to thank you so much for, for taking the time, you know, for sharing your, your stories, your insights, your journey. It's been a pleasure having you part of this and thank you once again for, for taking the time. No problem. Speak soon. Absolutely. And I have, I have, before we leave though, I have one final thing. It's like, uh, it's like a tradition we do at the Sporting Global podcast, you know, and uh, I have to, I have to teach you a little bit more reaching before we leave. Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, with every video we do, we always finish with we snakkes, which means see you later in Norwegian. So that's what you have to say. Well, before I say this, this knockers, knockers, um, I should have given you one more example, basically, which is yeah. one of, on, on the clauses, which was, um, I'm sure you guys know Stig, Stig Inge Bjornaby, who's the famous Liverpool left back, Norwegian left back from some time yeah. ago. He actually had a very famous clause put in his contract because apparently one of his family members was a very good Olympic skier. Mm. And uh, the, the rumor was that in his Liverpool contract, they had a specific clause that um, uh, prohibited him from skiing just in case he broke his leg or did anything <laughs> dangerous so that then he would continue to play for Liverpool and not be injured for a long period of time. So that's my Norwegian football clause specific um, awesome. uh, example for you. Awesome. I, I like it. Thank you so much, Daniel. And as always, we snakkes. <laughs> we snakkes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>